0: 好
1: darkly lit tonight we're gonna talk about a tale about a girl her name was apple she used to dance a lot she danced and danced until her feet turned into sausage the end <laughs> i am your host <laughs> kayla king i'm joined by my other two wonderful co-hosts we have saved hello and we have david
0: the mice only want to play to but i want them to play oompa oompa they will get it right caroline
1: And, uh, happy new year, everyone. For our first book of the year, we just finished reading Coraline by Neil Gaiman.
0: No, no, Caroline.
1: Coraline.
0: Yes, Caroline.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, David, would you like to give the summary? Because for those who don't know, Neil Gaiman is David's favorite author.
0: One of many, but yes, he actually he, I would say when I was in college, he was absolutely my favorite author. And he still is one of my favorite authors, so I will happily talk about Coraline. So our story centers around Coraline Jones, who's about nine years old in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and her parents have moved to an apartment in an old building, an old flat, and they have some interesting neighbors, namely Mrs. Forcible and Miss Spink, who live downstairs, and the crazy old man who lives upstairs who talks about his mouse circus. Now, Coraline is bored, and she doesn't get a lot of attention from her folks who are busy doing their own thing. And being an explorer by heart, she goes out and looks for things that she wants to keep herself entertained. And one very boring day, she happens to discover a door in the den that leads to nowhere, just a brick wall. But this piques her interest, and despite various warnings from various sources all around the place, she opens the door one night and finds that there is a portal leading to an apartment that looks a lot like hers, with parents that look a lot lot like hers, except they claim they're her other parents, and they have buttons for eyes. And most of the things in this place are pretty nice, but they're also pretty creepy. So Coraline decides, maybe I shouldn't stay in this place, but then her parents go missing. And now it's up to Coraline to defeat the other mother and rescue her parents and get things back to normal. And along the way, she gets helped By a black cat, that is just a black cat, has no name, just a black cat, because who needs names if you're a black cat? And a bunch of spooky ghost kids who got their hearts, souls, and essentially essence stolen by the Beldam, which is the nether name for the other mother. Also, Coraline is aided by a hagstone that she picked up, which is pretty cool. Anyway, Coraline is very precocious, and she's smart, and she gets a lot of stuff done, but she's also a fairly believable nine-year-old. I like this book a lot. (laughs)
1: That was very to the point and precise. Damn. No, well, the book
0: is very to the point and precise, and I figure, and I think that's one of the strengths of it. Honestly, it was a really breezy read, but the writing is good, and I think the the visuals it sets up are really nice, and uh, it's classic Neil Gaiman.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. So, uh, before we begin, um, if I recall, none of you have read this book before. We decided to read it for this podcast, correct? Correct.
2: Or I haven't. Yeah.
0: Yes.
1: But both of you have seen the 2009 animated film, correct? Yes. Okay. hmm So what did you guys think? Because I actually did read this book when I was much younger, before I even knew they were going to make it into a movie, and was very ecstatic when I realized they were going to make it into a movie and that it was going to be stop motion. Because I, when I first read it, I actually did imagine it as being stop motion. So. Oh,
0: really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool.
1: So, Yeah. I was a big fan of stop motion. I still am a big fan of stop motion. What am I saying? When I was reading it and I the spookiness of it was, but still kind of playfulness of the writing kind of reminded me of like the stop motions films that were available at the time, like uh, Nightmare for Christmas. And um, I think Corpse Bride had just came out. Or Mm -hmm. came out in 2005. So it came out before Coraline. Yes. Yes. As well as James and a Giant Peach. It kind of reminded me of that. And I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool if they were able to have this be stop motion. So when I first learned that it was going to be made into a film and it was going to be stop motion, I got super excited. (laughs) So, and I'm glad it turned out well. And a lot of people now know about it. But what did you guys think of the book? I mean, David has already said his opinion. What did you think, Sade? Well, I definitely like. I really enjoyed the the
2: Coraline movie. I saw it in theaters when it first came out, and I, I had actually um, it's my little cousin's favorite movie. Turns out, and it was in theaters sometime last year, um, in twenty twenty two. It was in theaters again in our at our in our local area, and so she was like, "Hey, will you go with me?" Because all my friends dropped out, and I was like, "Cool, yeah, I'll go with you." So I had it fairly in recent memory. So reading the book. It kind of just felt like I was watching the movie again cuz okay, I wasn't reading. I had to listen to the 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 audio because I waited till the last minute again. Um <laughs> so it was just kind of like I feel like it influenced my mental image too much why it just I don't feel like I read the book. I feel like I just watched the movie again cuz my very visual brain. So it was just replaying the movie for me. Mhm. And there were some differences here and there you can tell where the movie deviates. But I don't know, I feel like obviously it like didn't ruin my experience of like the story, but I do feel like it heavily influenced it. So I I don't know, I mean, I feel I, I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed the movie.
1: Yeah, I will say the movie follows the book very closely and the differences that they have are very minor. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the main differences being that the book is set in England versus being set in America in the movie, which is kind of funny because I completely forgot it was set in England. And as I was reading it, that got brought up. I was like, oh yeah, of course it would be set in England. Neil Gaiman is British. Duh. Why would I, why would I not? (laughs) But it's one of those books that like, it it could easily be set in America. No pro Questions asked. Another thing, too, is that there is the added character of uh, Wybee in the movie, which makes sense because Coraline is by herself for the most part in the book. Mm -hmm. And in a movie, you kind of don't want to just watch a person walk by themselves and not say anything. So it, it helped to have that character to bounce off of or at least talk to or interact with to make the movie feel more cinematic.
0: I remember Neil Gaiman actually saying once that after he saw the movie, he said he wishes he would have come up with a character like Wyborn, because he really liked that character in the movie.
1: hmm But other than that, there are a lot of similarities. Like, it, it almost kind of follows it beat by beat, or right? it has a lot of the same plot points and such. I, I believe that if you enjoyed the movie Coraline, you'll enjoy the book as well. I think the movie is actually creepier than the book, though. I feel like Coraline as a movie feels more like a horror movie than Coraline does as a book.
0: I'd say the five I got reading Coraline as a book, one thing that helped is we have a physical copy of the book. Yes. And that has Dave McKean's illustrations in it. And those are, lend a nice eerie quality to some of the work because his work already has that kind of surreal quality to it anyway. So you can see how the movie benefits from the visuals of it being claymation, being stop motion. I say claymation, but it's really stop motion. Mm-hmm. I think that helped me because one of the things as I was reading it, the feeling I was getting, despite having seen the movie first and no, you know, re- recognizing much like everybody else that it is basically the same, is uh, I was getting kind of the same vibes as The Thief of Always. And that's a good thing. Because I liked The Thief of Always.
1: Uh, also, I wanted to bring this up to uh, Dave McKean. Uh, we actually have seen his artwork before this. Uh, so he actually was one of the artists for Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth, Mm -hmm. which we did, uh, we did review on
0: Darkly Lit. Dave McKean has done a lot of stuff with Neil Gaiman. He did most of the cover art for Sandman, for the Mm -hmm. different Sandman comics. The two of them worked together to put together Mirror Mask, Mm. the movie Mirror Mask. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Dave McKean was basically the visual director and Neil Gaiman was, uh, wrote it. They wrote it together, though. Uh,
1: so from what I've heard, uh, Neil Gaiman reads the book for Coraline. He is the narrator. Oh. Um, if Is that correct for the audiobook, Sade? I didn't listen to the audiobook, but... Uh, Neil Gaiman's the narrator. Yeah. And I have listened to his other audiobooks, uh, the last one being North's Mythology. He is a very good reader. Oh, yeah. he is. Mm-hmm. He has a very great reading voice.
0: If you ever get the opportunity, this is just for, for you both, but also for the listeners, there's a recording of him reading A Christmas Carol. It's really good. He did it live for an audience, and it's it's very, very good. He's a fantastic... That's the, the thing I, lo- I love so much about Neil Gaiman, and I can speak for some experience because I, I have... Met, I did meet him briefly at San Diego Comic-Con one year, or at least had a chance to engage him in a and a He is a genuine storyteller, and that's... I think that's the thing that struck me. One of the reasons I liked him so much, and why he was such a huge inspiration for me as a writer uh, in my like college years was because it changed me from thinking I want to be a writer to I want to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I want to tell stories. And Neil Gaiman is very much a storyteller, both in the way that he writes, but also in the way that he actually tells the stories. So I think whenever you get the opportunity to hear him read something or recite something... It's definitely worth it. I've seen him do two live readings. And uh, both of those evenings with Neil Gaiman were well worth it. So,
1: mm-hmm. for, uh, Along with being a good writer and storyteller, he is definitely a good orator as well. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to say which is better because the novel does include Dave McKean's um, illustrations, which are fairly creepy.
0: Oh, yeah. The one that sticks out to me, the one I really like, is the one where you see... Uh, the other mother swallowing the key and you see the house looking more messed up in the background. I love the way the book describes the house becoming more like an illustration and then more like a sketch drawing as like time goes on. Some of those visuals are really striking Mm -hmm. in that sense. And I think they capture a lot of those pretty well in the, in the movie, but that was a really particularly good one in my opinion. Uh,
1: Why don't we talk about just the story of Coraline as a whole? I, I, since both the movie and the book have the same story line, what do we think of the story? It is kind of unique. Um, It does feel like almost like an Alice in Wonderland or sort of story, but it's that oddness of going into the other world. That's very similar to her own, but not quite similar. It just seems better, but you could already, she, it seems ahead of time she can sense that it's not quite as perfect.
0: She definitely picks up on it a lot earlier in the book than she does in the movie, I'd say. Mm-hmm. That, that things are, are kind of mm-hmm. uh, skewed.
2: No, like almost immediately, like right after her first visit, mm. uh, whereas I think in the movie it takes a couple visits to the other side.
0: I think I like that pacing. It works better for the movie, but in the book it works out nicely too. I, it, they're, I like them both for different reasons, and I don't think one is better than the other in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think the story as a whole, since we're talking about that, is good, and I think... The idea that she kind of picks up on it sooner rather than later is just your mileage may vary on that. I kind of prefer when she it takes her a little bit because again that's what that's what's giving me Thief of Always vibes.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah, I feel that more from the movie for sure.
0: Because
2: mm-hmm. I I think it just kind of comes down to the the different mediums that it's the same story told in two different mediums. Whereas like with the even though it's like it's a short story, you can pace things out a little bit more. Whereas if you're sitting down for like an hour and a half movie, it's, it's well, it takes for longer in the movie. I don't know. the pa- It's like, I think it's the pacing of like just the different mediums is why those like subtle changes are there between movie and book. I don't think that hinders the movie or the book Mm-mm. either way. They're just, you know, same story, told through different mediums, some slight changes, but still same exact story, perfectly told. I think it's a really concise, like... I think you were saying it was like kind of simple, but like to the point, there's not too much fodder. There's just enough like wonderful description and, and detail that you, the story is well told. There's a lot of stories with that idea of like, like a kid being either fed up with their parents or fed up with what their situation is. And like, is the grass always greener on the other side? And they find out and it isn't for some reason. Like I'm reminded of like I don't know the name of the movie I just remember seeing it as a kid where like these siblings like got these gold coins and they could uh, try buy a mother at the mommy market or something and each of them kept like wasting their gold coin on like the wrong choice and like those kind of stories and I think this one is like one of the better told children just kind of learning
1: mm-hmm. to like be grateful for what they have kind of story agreed. Coraline I think also recognizes she's just kinda of right now unhappy in the moment. And I think that's why she doesn't as easily give in mm. to the other mothers, like temptations. She is like surprisingly mature for a nine year old. Yeah. Is she older in the movie? I, I recall she's more like eleven or something like that in the movie. Maybe I'm misremembering. No, I think
0: I think you're right. I think she was older in the movie. Yeah, I wanted to say she was, like, 12 or something in the movie.
1: Yeah, but. it's, I feel like this, her at 9. But then again, uh, the book was published in 2002. So, actually, no, she, I mean, if this book was pu- published in 2002, we were about, I mean, a little older than she was when, if, the at the time this book was published, I would say, I, I can't. I would have
0: been about thirteen or fourteen.
1: Yeah, I would have been twelve or thirteen at this time when this book came out. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. She just she does seem a bit
0: precocious for her age. But I think that's interesting. I I think maybe it's also could be a difference because that she's a she's just an eccentric girl who just gets to explore in the UK different time. I don't know. It's a it's a fantastical setting. That's
2: true. I feel like maybe we're giving her like a little more credit. Because we just have this notion of just like children are children, but like children catch on to things and like understand things way more than we
0: give them credit for. Yeah, it, that is, I think that's true. And I have to take off my old man goggles for a bit because yeah. I end up dealing with yeah. a lot of kids at my day job. And a lot of the time, uh, I the, the unfortunately, a lot of the time, the kids that stick with me are the really annoying kids who are just I go like oh my gosh this is the future but then I remember wait and I keep thinking to myself, I wouldn't like that when I was a kid but well I think most kids aren't like that you mm-hmm. know like some kids are just kids are kids are more astute and this is a classic thing you, you lose sight of how astute kids actually can be mm-hmm. so it didn't it didn't feel out of place for me for Coraline to be nine but also be willing to like go and explore You know, and go and come up with these plans, Mm -hmm. because when she when push came to shove, she managed to figure out a way to outwit the other mother. And that didn't feel that weird after a while, because she was being kind of pushed to the limit. She did. It was life or death. And she managed to use that ingenuity just because she's nine doesn't mean she doesn't know how to do certain things.
1: One of the things I do like about the book, there was a point where she's telling the story about her dad and <laughs> with the wasps. I
0: love that part.
1: And that was her way of explaining uh, what it means to be brave.
0: That was such a sweet moment because we didn't, we didn't get a lot of her with her parents for most of the book, but we need, I think that was an important moment to have, mm-hmm. especially particularly that, that bit of, re- of a relationship with her father.
1: One of the things I noticed too, while reading this book, there seems to be an interesting theme about names. So we have Coraline who she has a very unique name and her name gets constantly uh, mispronounced. Yeah. To Caroline. And even when she says over and over it's Coraline, boy, do I understand that? Um, (laughs) But also there's a point where the cat says, I don't have a name. Why do I need a name? Well, what if we, someone calls you, you can just yell dinner. And there does seem to be a theme about, having a name and what it means to have a name. And I'm curious what you guys think about that. I think
2: for me, the everyone getting her name, all the adults getting her name wrong is kind of like that same idea of like, we don't give kids enough credit where they kind they aren't acknowledging her uh, as another person. They only see her as a child. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the, you know, the where they get her name wrong all the time, where that comes from when at the end, Mr. Bobo is, like, the mice said, you're our savior. And he's, like, so he's got this reason now to see Coraline differently. That's when he, like, finally registers her name correctly. Because now she's not just this child. She's this person who has saved him from something, according to the mice. Um, With the cat not having, being like, you don't need my name. I think that's just a cat. (laughs) cat.
0: (laughs) Narratively, I think that is a fantastic cat. Like, that cat acts perfectly like a cat. Yes. Yes. 100%. You
1: know what? I didn't think about that, but you are, you're absolutely right. That is a very, everything this cat does is a very cat-like thing to do. And actually, the way a cat would respond. Okay, you know what? Yeah.
0: Can I I say, I love how stuck up the cat is up until he realizes he's got no escape, and then he ends up having to rely on Coraline.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, shit, I need to depend on this person now. Okay.
0: I like how Coraline also just throws the cat at the (laughs) other mother in order to escape and then later apologizes to him.
1: Uh, There's some good creepy moments in this, too. Um, I think one example is when she sees the other father as like this doughy, kind of uncomfortable creature, and he apologizes like, I'm sorry, but I can't let you leave.
0: That was pretty disturbing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it.
0: (laughs) I liked when uh, she met the other crazy old man and he was just a coat full of rats.
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: And of course, I I like, again, I love, I like the set pieces they set up. And as the world starts to go wrong, everything kind of starts to decay to what horror it actually is. That's probably the best part of the book. I, I think my favorite section, though, was when she had to go back into the theater
2: yeah, I think a lot of those scenes did register, as I was listening, just a little more creepier than what I would in the movie
0: for mm-hmm. me. I, I think on the topic of um, the names thing, it did just hit me. Names have power in a lot of stories, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe that's a sub theme, too. But I think it says mostly about taking core Coraline seriously. hmm. So
1: yeah uh, because another thing too is uh the what i'm going to discuss is actually one of the questions that does get asked um yeah
0: do we want to turn it to questions because that might help prompt additional discussion
1: yeah because it is so straight to the point it's kind of hard to like basically dig deep into oh what does this novel mean and such
0: yeah it's not it's essentially a fairy tale yeah it's a modern fairy tale i i alluded to this earlier it's Hansel and Gretel but with more detail if you think about it it's a it's a someone posing as someone good luring you away from your cruel parents with offers of sweets and then they make a a heel turn and suddenly it's the witch that's going to throw you in an oven. I mean classic.
1: Even Neil Gaiman acknowledges this as a fairy tale one of the quotes that are in there because I found this and really liked it um, fairy tales are more than true not because they tell us that dragons exist but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten.
0: Yeah, the G.K. Chesterton quote. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's so, basically the the crust of the crust of the whole thing.
1: So I'm going to ask this question um, that thanksway asked. Thank you, Sui. Just because this is something that's currently on my mind. Just what is the other mother supposed to be like? Is she an actual representation of some mythical creature or fae? And I looked this up. So she isn't called the Beldem in both the novel and the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beldam is an actual creature. It's basically another word for witch or hag, uh, specifically in Romanian lore. Mm-hmm. And if you look up anything about the Beldam, uh, well, now if you look it up, it's it's more Coraline stuff. But if you look into the Romanian lore part of it, a lot of the stories are kind of the s- typical stories that you would see with a hag, such as like the hag eats children she's hideous she's a shapeshifter that sort of thing it's similar to like Hansel and Gretel or any yeah your,
0: your classic duplicitous uh evil fay creature yes Baba Yaga I mean it's funny because I think the only people who refer to in the story to her as the Beldam are the ghost children mm-hmm. uh, in both versions so but that's that's good that it's kind of a, a, on the name thing she's to everybody else she's just the other mother yes but now we have her, we know what she is, mm-hmm. thanks to the folklore there. I think that might, that, that's definitely the inspiration for her to answer that question. I mean, the other, the other bit I like, and I alluded to this earlier with my summary, is I like that so much of what Coraline is able to do is based around a hagstone. It's never called a hagstone, but if you look it up, a hagstone is usually something of clear glass or a stone with a hole through it. And supposedly, if you look through that hole, it's supposed to help you see the truth of things. It's a protective thing. It's a divination tool. Uh there was another name for it. I think you said adder. At,
1: it's an adderstone.
0: Adderstones. Yeah. Uh
1: and I I do appreciate that the uh, that this creature does have some basis in some folklore. It's like, "Ooh, okay. That's something extra."
0: I like that, too. Mhm.
1: And another question that he asked is, uh how does this cat rank against other fictional cats? <laughs>
2: I mean, what, what, other, what other fictional cats are in the ranking? I know.
1: there's.
0: <laughs> How many fictional cats have we come across in our, you know, on Darkly Lit so far?
2: Oh, boy. Hard to say. Uh, have any?
0: Hardly any. We mostly come upon good boys and girls in doggo form, it seems like. But I put this, this cat in my top five for sure. Fictional cats. It helps that in... The movie, he's voiced by Keith David. Which is awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that helps a lot. (laughs) Movie one, definitely
1: up there. (laughs) Um. So then uh, um, I also got some questions from Bringer. Thank you, Bringer. Do you think the other mother predated the building of the house? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do, but I got the impression that
2: the thing that connects the two sides is a separate thing from the other mother. That was what I picked up on. Same. So I feel like that thing is older still than the other mother, and the other mother just happened a- upon this place where it's like, oh, I can take advantage of this to, you know, collect the childrens. Interesting. That was that was what I got, but I it, they wrong.
0: definitely allude to something very eldritch and unknowable in that space between uh, the the other apartment and the and the real world apartment. Right.
1: Because I I know from what I it's written that the this other world was created by the uh, other mother because um, the world begins to crumble. But you're right, that hallway, that space in between does seem separate from the rest of it. And then even at the end, when her hand is so dead set on getting that key. If this was part of the world she created, why would she be so dead set on getting the key? I think you are both onto something.
0: Yeah, I think that... It's important to recognize that the cat even says she can't make anything for herself. She just ha- kind of has to copy what exists on the other side. So she's a copy, she's a literal copycat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and- <laughs> well, except he's not a copy, he's just a cat. The cat's the one thing she can't seem to copy. But the fact that the world collapses essentially into a paper drawing on a sketchy universe, I think, gives a lot of evidence to the fact that this world was just drawn into existence by the Beldam.
1: And it does even feel like a drawing in itself.
0: Yeah, when they describe the way that she like reaches the fringes of it, and it just kind of becomes like, these were not trees. They were just almost like people's impressions of trees, which I thought was really cool. And then the the mist in on and the fringes is described as almost being like off-white paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good allusion to the fact that this world is an illusion. It's an illustration. And I think that's uh, such a neat detail.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the questions Bringer has too is, if she controls the other side, why is it that the cat can defy her? I mean, she can't control Coraline either. And I don't think the cat is a part of the other world. I think it is a real cat. It just so happens when he gets into this other world, it can now talk.
0: I think the cat is just like one of those ultimate mysterious characters, but at least the cat's on Coraline's side for the most part.
2: Agreed. I mean, it's it's just a cat. It does what it wants. Does it want to go into the other side and mess around? It'll do that can't
1: control it.
0: (laughs) And I love the notion that cats themselves are just magical.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do the souls of the children find peace afterwards? I think they do.
0: Yeah. Coraline's dreams certainly set them up too.
1: Yeah, I think it's implied that they do.
0: Were you all kind of surprised, or Sage specifically, were you kind of surprised that one of the children was like a girl with wings?
2: No, I wasn't. But I was like, okay. I don't know. I didn't question it. Maybe I should have.
0: I, it definitely, it definitely came, was interesting to me because I I did, again, having only seen the movie, I didn't remember that, but, and I don't think she did in the movie, but I like the idea that maybe this, this girl was not human herself. I get the impression that this was like a fairy of some kind who the Beldam captured and destroyed eons ago.
2: Maybe. Because I feel like, like, the kids knowing, the kid knowing to call her the Beldam is like, probably like really really old and like comes from like a timeline where like things of that folklore like existed maybe that's why one of them has wings so just like from from different times maybe their other side wasn't
1: our modern day maybe it was a whole fucking other parallel universe who knows i don't know we could go there uh,
2: Yep. why not go yeah. there uh,
1: there is the one child who questions if if he's a boy or not and of course I immediately put my 21st century uh, mindset on it when he says, I'm not sure what I am. I I recall wearing dresses and having my hair curled, but then I ended, they put me in trousers and my brain was like, trans? And then uh, uh clicked later on. It's like, oh, wait, no, when you're little, like uh, there was a time.
0: This was a Victorian era, era baby.
1: Yeah, Victorian era baby. He had
0: a governess, right? Y-
1: yes. Yeah. They used to put babies, all babies, yep. all babies <laughs> yep. were in
2: dresses during that. Yep. And boys used to wear pink, and girls were used to wear blue because pink was the watered down color of red, and red was thought to be manly, and it's the color of blood. And then for some reason they switched it. Heels were invented by men for men, so
1: yeah, whatever. <clears throat> no, no, people's perceptions <clears> throat> of throat> men. of what's masculine is a is it's strange mm-hmm. uh, and,
0: and continues to be let's be honest
1: uh bringer also asked does anyone else think the potato soup sounded really tasty uh some of the food in here actually sounded really good yeah yeah
0: as as a as a professed pineapple and pizza fan i'm kind of mad Coraline took the pineapples <laughs> off
2: i also took <laughs> i'm
0: right there with you <laughs> <laughs> don't at me listeners <laughs>
1: And then he said, Finally, does the movie stand up to the book? I think they're this is one of the few times I feel like the movie and the book are actually equally good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Side by side. Yeah. That is a rare thing, usually. I find the book better than the movie. Mm-hmm. And then there there's been rare occasions where the movie is better than the book. I will say without a doubt that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a much better movie than the book. But not this this, the movie and the book actually do match up pretty well in terms of uh, quality. I also got some uh, comments and a couple questions from Dan or Urkobot666. Thank you, Dan. I've seen the movie. This was my first time reading the book. I think I like them about equally. There were certain parts that I felt worked better in a film setting, but I like the low-key tone of the book in a lot of ways. I liked how this one feels a little more realistic than some other children's fantasy books. I enjoyed how Coraline's um, real parents weren't total tyrants and that she knew pretty quickly that the other parents were kind of sketchy. This, yeah, because I think we we discussed this earlier. Her parents aren't bad people. She's just in a situation where she's kind of bored and her parents are just...
0: They're distracted and they're not... Busy.
1: They're just busy and distracted. I
2: do feel like in the book... You know they're just parents. They got shit they need to do. I'm sure they would love to spend more time with Coraline if they can, but they got shit to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do feel like in the movie they are a little more neglectful, not intentionally obviously, but I, I feel like that's pushed a little harder in the movie. I agree.
1: In, in the book, they feel just more like normal parents. Just they're they're trying, but not everything's going to be the best. Yeah. And I think the other mother is just trying to play on that. Well. Look how much better I am than they are. And and that's, I think that is why Coraline was able to pick up like, yeah, but they're still my parents. They're not bad people and they're not do bad things. Go, I'm not just going to consider you my mom just because, you know. Yeah. Well, like, like when her father says, leave me alone,
2: it almost, it, fe- it came across as playful. Yeah. Where like in the movie, it it felt both of their attitudes towards her seemed more annoyed. Than, like, oh, here's my child, and uh, demanding attention. Kind of like what I am with my cats. Like, yes, okay, I acknowledge your existence, now please let me do what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think the in the movie, they're a bit harsher to Coraline. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because, you know, it's a movie, and they need to convey things a little more
0: quickly
2: and to mm-hmm. the point. And, but even in,
0: even in the movie, her parents aren't terrible. Yeah,
2: it's not, like, intentional, ever.
0: They're just, they're frustrated with their own stuff that's going on. And by extension, they're just like, Ugh, Coraline, just go do your thing. Just, we got your shit done. Uh,
1: another thing too is in the movie, you, that that's made a bit clearer. It's like, they are in the middle of moving. There's still a lot of boxes around that you see that they still have not unpacked. Yeah. Um, but they're also in the middle of their work, which they're having a tough time trying to finish mm-hmm. too. And their daughter is... Bored. She's right now on vacation. And... It's a long,
0: boring summer. They just moved to a new place. She doesn't have friends to go hang out with. She's. They, I like how they basically send her to try and hang out with the neighbors. They like, put her off on the neighbors, <laughs> and she goes and hangs out with Miss Spink and Miss forcible
1: Go hang out with the two old ladies, or that weird uh Eastern European guy upstairs that has a mouse circus.
0: <laughs> can I? Can I also? Oh, I forgot to mention this, but uh we have another good boy in this, in Hamish, Hamish the Terrier. Oh uh,
1: yeah. Hamish Scottish is, Terrier. Hamish is a good boy.
0: Poor Hamish. He got scratched by a, a disembodied claw, but he was okay.
1: Also, Other Dad was a, awesome as a slug person or whatever happened to him. I like the other father in both of both the movie and the book. I okay, the choice that the voice actors they got for the movie
0: <laughs>
1: is insanely good. So Other Father is voiced by John Hodgman, who I've listened to his podcasts, I've heard him, like, in seen him in other shows and movies, and I just find him so entertaining. And then for him to play, he does such a good job as the other father as well. Uh, and then in the book, it just, like I mentioned before, that point where she gets to see the other father into this almost, like, doe-like creature is kind of horrifying and i really like that moment and it's sad but it's also scary too
0: yeah and it's sad because the other father doesn't really want to like he he ends up kind of low-key giving Coraline good information he doesn't really want to hurt her or do anything to her but he's stuck obeying the other mother who created him actually the funny thing is in the movie he does have two voices technically because it's john hodgman and then there's another john who you might know (laughs) From They Might Be Giants, one of my favorite bands of all time. Because the the other father song was done by them.
1: I did get excited for this movie, so I looked up a lot of information beforehand. <laughs> I've also cosplayed as Coraline, so if that says anything. Uh, they Might Be Giants were hired to do the music for this. There was actually going to be songs in the movie. And by the end, they realized, okay, the music is not going to work, or like having this be a musical is just not going to work for the movie. They were paid, but... And unfortunately, only the other father's song was used, but they have released a little by little some of the songs that they were going to use. That's um, cool. So there, there's a little tidbit for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually didn't know that part of it. I just knew about the other father's song.
1: During a concert that you and I went to actually, David, they sang a song called She's the New Girl or something like that. It's, oh,
0: yeah. That was
1: from Coraline.
0: Okay. Yeah, we saw them at the House of Blues one time. Yep. That was cool.
1: Dan asks, uh, what kinds of tasty treats could your, quote-unquote, other parents use to keep you in their realm? Uh, <laughs> uh, cats. Cats. <laughs> cats would be a tasty food, food treat. Food would be
2: a really good one for just, like, <laughs> endless food. Yeah.
1: It, the food would have to be really good, but even so, it's... I'm also someone that needs, enjoys variety in food. Yeah. I can't imagine the other mutter being like, okay, now we're going to make sushi. Okay, now we're... <laughs> she wants me around. She better be making me sushi and some katsu <laughs> and some kare.
2: And I want some dumplings and give me some bibimbap, please. Um, some bubble tea, <laughs> some croquettes, beignets. <laughs> Yes!
1: Some fucking tamales! (laughs) I was so sad that I didn't get to have tamales during the Christmas season. I mean, you don't need a reason to get yourself some tamales. I know. It's just one of those, like, Christmassy things that I enjoy getting. But, anywho. Hot
0: roast. Mashed potatoes. (laughs) Steamed veggies. On a big meal. That sounds really, really good to me. And then afterward big old slice of watermelon like really good sweet watermelon oh, oh man
1: <laughs> the, yeah I, it's like question what cuisines can you cook because you're gonna you're gonna need to cook a lot a whole variety listen can you, can you cook indian no we're done
0: <laughs> listen can here's you- the here's the deal other parent make this thing I'll, I'll if you're if you if you rise like Coraline, you get up on what's going on here you might as well squeeze one really good meal out of them before you then dupe them into letting you back out of the other world before they (laughs) eat your soul
1: so if you got stuck in the other realm and it's like okay the other brother's like well i made this for you you're gonna be like well okay i'll stay for one meal but then i'm booking it out (laughs) yeah it's like that ice cream better be damn good i'm not having any of that like good humor crap and then uh, his last question was, "Anything in this one spook you?" Like I said, I love the stuff with the other father. I didn't get spooked by this. Nothing really scared me, but there's parts that I'm like, "Ooh, that's kind of
2: creepy." Yeah, like there, you know, some of those scenes with the with the other father, and then the theater. Yeah, they were they were a little creepy, but I think especially like coming into it, having like seen the movie. There wasn't really an opportunity to be scared. I don't think if I'd read it, like, for the first time, have not seen the movie, it would have been creepy. But I think that's also just because we're all quite experienced with the
1: horror genre. Yeah, we've read enough horror novels. I don't think anything really scares us. The last time that I think I read something that spooked me Mm -hmm. was when I was, like, a teenager. And... This also was due to the fact that I read this at one o'clock in the morning, and that was on me. Ever since then, though, I, I haven't really read anything that was like, oh, that really scared me. Ooh. There's there's moments that I appreciate for how creepy it is, I think or for like- how spooky it is, and like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. There's moments that have made me really uncomfortable, too. Like, boy, reading um, Tender is the Flesh... Made me very uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't really genuinely scare me, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think the most we can hope for at this point
2: is to be like genuinely surprised by something. Yes. But like to be actually scared. Man, I, I wish I wish I knew what that was like again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, good creepy imagery though all around. I always appreciate good creepy imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the part that would disturb me the most if I was in that situation was having to reach into the egg sac to get the uh, the marble. because mm. yeah, insects and spiders and stuff. Like like anything involving insects. That's
2: more gross than than terrifying, but yeah. Or for some people yeah. that is
1: the worst thing ever.
0: Just describing it as an egg sac is what got me thinking, like. Ugh.
1: Usually my uh my terror comes from situations that I The closest I would say that I'm something that I'm scared of is bees slash wasps or anything that sting. I don't really like bugs either. For me, it is alien (laughs) Grays.
2: Yeah, I remember this. (laughs) Which is, I think, something I've shared before. I thought it was over it, and then the trailer for Nope came out, and I was like, fuck. And there is a scene in um, Nope that did have me kind of, like, really tensed up edge of my seat but then as soon as I realized, oh, this isn't about alien greys, the rest of the movie was just hella fun.
0: I love Nope. Nope was a
2: great
1: movie, guys. If you yeah. didn't see it yet, still, go check it out. Go see Nope. Yes. I. You know what? If we're going to do two movie recommendations. If you haven't seen Coraline, go see Coraline. <laughs> um, you probably should have seen this movie before listening to this uh, podcast episodes. So yeah, Whoops.
0: it's all right. I mean, I we assume people who listen to this are up on the source material. Generally. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have two other movie recommendations though. Okay. This has been a good year for stop motion. Oh yeah. Uh, go check is. out, go check out Wendell and wild if you can. And also check out, uh, Gabriel del Toro's Pinocchio.
1: Yeah. Both of those were really good. Um, very different films. Uh, I think Wendell and wild is more, a lot of fun and a lot of silliness where Pinocchio, it gets heavy. <laughs> that movie gets heavy, so be weary going into that, but it is brilliant.
0: Be prepared.
1: So, and also, yeah, go watch more stop-motion movies. It is rare that I ever see a stop-motion movie and think, this is awful.
0: And it's amazing how to see how far it's come as a medium. hmm Especially after we spent December watching a bunch of the Rankin-Bass ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No no offense to Rankin and Bass, but you can see how the medium has evolved. That's all I'm saying.
1: and That, that was made in the 60s, so it's like you can...
0: You can forgive the crudeness. They were still working on the, getting the tech down.
1: Yeah. Any final thoughts on the novel? Cats will be cats. <laughs> That's all I got.
0: <laughs> I like mice and rats. Don't y'all be speciesist against rats unless they happen to have red eyes and sing rhymes about how they'll be here when you rise and they'll still be here when you fall.
1: I was this close to just reciting that at the beginning of this.
0: I think your choice for the beginning was inspired, though, with this one.
1: Yeah, no, that was a good choice. That one, <laughs> the, ran- the random story she decided to write out of the blue, just like, okay.
0: <laughs> I'm still waiting to read the sequel to this where we actually do get to learn about Apple. Uh, hey, what are we reading next? Are we reading Apple?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. We're actually going uh, to discu- read another kind of coming-of-age story. Actually, that the term coming-of-age is in the title. We will be reading Dirty Heads, a novella of cosmic coming-of-age horror by Aaron Drys. From what I gather, it's queer. Artwork for the cover is creepy. And after I'm very curious to see where it goes.
0: Kind of nice contrast after reading this one, so yeah.
2: Can you guys guess that I'm the one who brought it to the table? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's queer and it has creepy, creepy monsters. I'm down. <laughs> gay monsters. Here we go. Let's do this. I hope it's a gay monster. After reading Ellen Haven, I mean anything's possible.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you like what you hear, uh, check out our other podcast on the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com, or check us out on YouTube. Just type up Creative Horror and you'll find us we have other fun podcasts like undercooked analysis and the jameson tapes so give that a listen this coming episode for the jameson
2: tape which comes out the day after this episode comes out marks the first the first full year of the jameson tape so definitely go check it out
1: Woo! Woo! oh my god i can't believe it's been out for a year yeah they they watch something special for it so oh my god i love listening to the jameson tapes I'm, i'm excited same Uh, until then, um, hope you guys are having a good start to the new year. Uh, be careful walking through, um, random hallways. Who knows if you'll end up in a copycat world like our own and being tempted by the other mother with food.
0: Get at least one good meal out of them, and then run like hell. Don't worry, the thing in that space between is very old and very slow.
1: Wait, there's some- there's a monster in the in-between?
0: Good evening, Intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at (laughs) CreativeHorror.com.